This chapter that um, we're going to look at today is, is quite an interesting chapter for me because as a young man, um, my father thought that it would be good for me to learn scripture and to memorize it. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 was one of the chapters that um, he had me memorize. Now, I was protesting very much, uh, but since it speaks to young people, um, the young believers uh, here in particular, my dad was uh, very keen on making sure that I knew what it says. So I can still remember it in Russian today. And uh, in fact, I was quoting it uh, last night to my wife. And uh, it's a very interesting chapter because the Spirit of God in his care for us as the church, God the Father, he um, wanted us to make sure that we are aware of this truth. So why don't you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, we will read the whole chapter and dive in and hopefully glean some truths um, from this word of God this morning. 1 Timothy 4, I read in a NASB version, in case you're wondering. So here it goes. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and on the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers." Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying of the hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for... Uh, 
life and breath in our lungs. You are the God who created all of us. You are the God who created every single thing in this entire world. Lord, and we acknowledge you as creator and a sustainer of life. Lord, you also send your son Jesus Christ to this earth who died and bled for our sins, for salvation on the cross, for the payment of the debt we could never repay. Lord, and you've created your church and you said that your church is built upon you and the gates of hell will not ever overcome it. Thank you for your church, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word, it is a compass for our feet. It points us in a direction that you would like for us to go, Lord. You gave us these instructions, and you gave us some warnings, and you gave us some things to live by. Therefore, Lord, we ask you that as we unpack this chapter, you, through your spirit, would enact upon our hearts, and that you would make the changes necessary that we may follow you more closely and be aware of the things that the word says. Father, we also pray for Brad and Jenna this morning. We ask you, Lord, that the coming of their baby would be a wonderful, marvelous blessing to their family. We pray that everything goes well and that they may rejoice with us shortly in the future. Father, we thank you for this day. Amen. All right, so as we start reading this, excuse me, as we start reading this chapter, we're seeing that there's a warning that comes out right out of the gate that Apostle Paul is relaying to us, and he's saying that the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times, some will fall away from the faith. And we begin to wonder and see in the first, verse 1 that there are two spirits that are clearly described in the Scripture. And the spirits are both pointed out very clearly so we can make a distinction of what is being said here. So the reason I asked uh, Brother Drebo to read from John 14 today is because that's the scriptures that we find out that Jesus has promised to his followers, to the believers, that once he leaves the earth, there will be somebody else coming to help us, a helper that he described. If you go back with me to John chapter 14, and we're just going to read verses 15 and uh, through 18, I believe, or through 17. It says, if you love me, you will follow my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So on the authority of Scripture, on the words of Jesus, we can clearly see here that Apostle Paul is receiving this message directly from God. As you and many of you may remember, Paul was a guy who did not very much like Jesus or his church. And if you read chapter 8, he was, in fact, of Acts. He was, in fact, a persecutor of the church. So he hated Christians. He was a devout Pharisee. He was one of those zealous people who wanted nothing to do with this new religion and this new Christ. But Christ miraculously meets him in chapter 9 of Acts. And after that, after he becomes blind and he starts on his new walk with the Lord, he receives this spirit, which is now he is saying that the Spirit is warning the church through him, and he is talking 
about what the Spirit is saying to him to tell us. So the Spirit of God who indwelled Apostle Paul is relaying this message to this young preacher who is Timothy in the church, and he is being warned that there are two kinds of spirits that are, in fact, acting within the walls of the church. I know that spiritual things are very difficult to speak about. They are sort of taboo, especially in our nation today. When we used to live in a different country, I'm from Ukraine, if somebody doesn't know that, I remember as a little kid, there were many people out on the streets who were clearly possessed by not God's spirit, but, the, but by demons. And it was not as hidden as it is hidden here today. In fact, we in Lincoln, Nebraska, do not experience much of it. If you actually go to San Francisco today, I have some friends who live in California, and uh, one of my friends has told me, he said, you just don't go to San Francisco anymore because there are people who are clearly demon-possessed who are on heavy drugs walking the streets. But here today in our own city, we don't see that much. It is kind of hidden. But spiritual life is real. And we're being warned that spiritual life is not just somebody out on the street doing crazy things being enacted upon by the spirits of demons. It is actually going on sometimes in the church, and that's what we are being warned about. So the Spirit of God, which we discovered Jesus promised, Apostle Paul has received, he is warning us that there are other spirits and demons who are in action today within the church. What are these other spirits? Well, we would have to go back and we would have to read from chapter 3 of Genesis. It begun a long time ago. The distinction between the spirit of God and the spirit of the demons has begun very early. And I want you to notice one thing that it says in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 1. We're just going to make this Real quick note here. It says that the serpent, chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1, was more crafty than any beasts of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said. That's all we're going to do from there. So I want you to notice one thing. So one subtle, interesting note. Crafty. Very crafty, hidden, slight, very sly, very slick, almost unnoticeable. But the Lord knows, and he's warning us that this is going to happen. Now, I want you to notice another word in here that is very interesting to me. It says that it's going to happen in the later times. A lot of times people say, well, later times are going to happen sometime later. What are the later times? What are the last times? We're living in them today. The last times in the Bible are identified as from the time of Jesus ascending into heaven until he comes back. We are living in those days. So we need to not be aware. So, you know, when we're reading the scripture, don't dismiss it and say, well, Apostle Paul said that it might happen sometime later, not today. No, it is happening today. It is happening, and it is clearly described here in the Scripture. So, let's move. 
it says, some will fall away from the faith. Okay? So, where is it going to happen? It's going to happen here in the church. He's clearly warning us that this is not going to happen again in the streets of San Francisco, maybe, or somewhere else. This could happen in our own midst, that some people fall away from faith. Who are these people? These are the people who actually professed to be Christians, but were never true Christians, and they were deceived by these spirits. And I want you to notice what it says uh, in verse 2. It says, how are they acting? So the warning comes first, and what are they doing? What are these people who have been part of the church, who have claimed Jesus, and now they're doing these things? What are they actually doing and how they're accomplishing this? It says, by the means of the hypocrisy, okay, we should notice that word in there, of liars, so it's false information. And this is an interesting little note here. Some of you are farmers, some maybe some ranchers in here, some of you grew up around that stuff. It says, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. You guys ever seen a branding iron at work? I see Mr. Hughes over there. <laughs> okay, each rancher has his own brand, right? And what, what do they do? They take it, they stick it into a fire, and they burn that right into the skin or the hide of the, of the animal that they're branding. What does that accomplish? Basically, it is killing all of that skin. It is killing everything, and they lose sensation around that area. And basically, it is ingrained, it is so vivid here, that imagery, that it's like that action, they, their own consciousness of these people, they've lost their consciousness, it's burnt out, it is not there anymore. So these people who are acting within the church, who were part of the church, and now they're hypocrites and liars, their conscience is completely gone, so they have no stop, they have no more... Um, stopping power in their brain. So what are they doing? What are they acting? And how are these demons deceiving the Christians, the true Christians today? Well, they're deceiving them by hypocrisy. They're deceiving them by lies. And what are these lies? What are actions are they doing? What are they taking? It says that they are advocating, forbidding, I'm sorry, they're men who forbid marriage, verse 3, and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. Okay, some of you historians here maybe remember this. There was a cult that developed right after Jesus' ministry on the earth. Um, I believe I'm saying the name right. There were the Essenes. These were people who lived by the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and the remainders of their colonies have been found. And these were the early propagators of abstaining from marriage. If you wanted to be a part of their cult, you needed to be a single man. So a lot of men who were, sing who were married, they left their families, and they followed God by abstaining from that, and they left their marriages. And some young men joined, and basically one of the prerequisites that was for them to join them was that you could not be married. Now we say, okay, that was some time ago. How is it relevant to us today? Well, I want you to go back and notice that word that we said that it's a crafty enemy that we have. 
What's happening in marriage today, guys? Who is the person who ordained marriage? God ordained marriage, right? So man has no power to define what marriage is. So what is the relevance of this text to us today? The relevance is very simple. Marriage today is under attack. And we need to know that it is not people who are attacking marriage. It is demons and Satan who is behind all of that. So the Spirit is warning us that we ought to follow the proper definition of marriage, which is one man, one woman, union together with God for a lifetime. And if our church or any other church that you're seeing today, and there are many churches today who are propagating same-sex marriage, I need you to know that on the authority of scriptures, we can say that it is demonic and that it is false. God wants us to clearly understand this message. This is the Achilles heel of our culture today, that even people within the church are saying that same-sex marriage is okay. It is not. So in those times, those were people who would abstain from marriage altogether, which was not good either. But today, Satan is using his craftiness to twist people's understanding. And notice one thing. Why was it not called something else? Why did Satan say we need to call it same-sex marriage? Because he cannot come up with anything new. The only thing that demons and Satan can do is take something of God's twisted just a little bit and push forward as the truth, which it is not. So kids who are here today within our midst, I want you to know that on the authority of scriptures, you can be sure that all of the lies that you might be hearing in schools that same-sex marriage is okay and uh, that you need to participate in celebrating those kinds of things, you don't have to. In fact, don't, because God has clearly said that those things are from Satan and his demons. Let's continue on. It says, and what is the other one? Abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. So this is kind of a touchy subject for some of us. And I understand that we have been greatly blessed in this country by the amounts of food that we have. And we have the ability to make some choices. Food is good. As you can see it, I partake in some good amounts of it. I enjoy a good steak. And I know last time I was up here, some of you guys know my love for the organization, which is called PETA, which stands for People Eating Tasty Animals. So, <laughs> hate to use the same joke, but it's in the text. It's all about food again. But what the warning here from the Spirit of God is, is that these guys in here who were in the church where Timothy was the pastor, some, there was obviously these issues where people were using food 
to exercise some kind of authority over others. And that's exactly what we see actually today. I'm sure you all have seen it, that some people take food to the extremes. And there are people out there who will pretty much try to take your head off if you are going to be buying a steak in the store. Now, I call that food worship. And that is unfortunate because people are trying to tell others what to do and what to eat and how to eat it. Now, if you are a vegetarian here today, God bless you. That's okay. If you choose not to eat certain foods, that's okay. But using that as a weapon and using that as a weapon to tell others that certain foods are bringing you closer to God or certain foods that you're eating are destroying you or are standing in the way of your worship of the Lord, that is completely untrue. And in fact, that's what they were doing in here. These people who were in that church at that time, they were saying that these actions were necessary for a closer relationship and a closer union with God. So what were they doing? They were saying that you were not saved simply by grace through faith. You needed to do these certain things in order for you to follow the Lord closer and to be with him. In fact, these were huge problems because Apostle Paul takes the time to address them. But we find out in verse 4 that although food is great and God has created everything, it is giving us a simple instruction on how to enjoy food and what we can do in order to overcome those temptations. It says, for everything created by God is good... Okay, I want you to notice that. And nothing is to be rejected if received with gratitude. So what are we got to be doing? We ought to be thankful to God for the food that we receive. Why is it? In verse 5 it says, For it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. So if we pray over food, don't worry. Just eat it. You will be okay. Don't ever let anyone stand in the way of you receiving food that you are thankful to God for because God is blessing that food through the prayer. So we are learning that God graciously has given us some warnings and he's warning us that two kinds of spirits are in action, the spirit of God and the spirit of Satan. And they're clashing where? Where they're clashing right in the church. This is not talking to the world. This is talking to believers. This was the church where Timothy was serving. These problems were evident. They were present. And they are actually very relevant to us today. So I appreciate so much that God has not left us out in the cold. He has not left us wondering what's going on and why are these people doing such things. He has actually pointing out to us the very issues that we are having as well today in the church. Let's move on to verses 6. He says, In pointing out these things to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following. And verse 7, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Okay, let's pause right there. I got to tread lightly here. (laughs) 
Not only old women participate in gossip and all kinds of things that he is warning us about here. So let's make that very, very clear. It was just an old way of of calling out people who were following the worldly fables of those days. We have received a great blessing and the curse about 20, 30 years ago, right? Which is called the great internet, the World Wide Web. And uh, we are now bombarded with all kinds of information. Information is so easy to get. Back in the olden days when, if you lived in Europe and you wanted to know what's going on in America, you most likely had to wait for a few weeks before the ship would arrive and you would get the newspaper, the New York Times, and then you would find out. And vice versa, if you wanted to know what went on in London, you would have to wait. We don't have to do that today. And in fact, the good things that are happening through the internet are being far outweighed by the bad things that are happening by the internet today. I am a victim as well. We are all fallen victim to clickbait and all kinds of things that are happening. News is coming to us, and it's coming so fast. And our minds are just running in all kinds of different directions. And it is so easy today to not be able to focus on the things that are necessary and that are right. We can go and we can research any sort of topic and there is so much information out there for that particular topic because it is so easy to get. So what's happening today is people are educating themselves on all kinds of things and they're spending so much time researching these things that they're into, whatever it might be, whatever, as we call it here, worldly fable, as the Apostle Paul calls it. But God is not wanting us to do that. He is warning us that to avoid falling in the pitfalls of verses 1 through 5, that warning there, to avoid that, we need to take a time out and make sure that we are not falling victim to continual information bombardment, which is happening to us today. But what is he calling us to do? He is calling us to be, in verse 6, constantly nourished, on the words of the faith and sound doctrine. What is he calling us to do, essentially? He is calling us to read and participate in the study of the word of God. You want to know what the Spirit of God says? Do you want to know how to distinguish what's going on and say, is this from God or is this from demons? Do you want to do that? You want to avoid the men who are seared in their conscience, who are hypocrites and liars? How do you do that? Well, definitely not reading the 10th story in an hour about the same subject just because clickbait is out there and all they want to do is put your eyeballs on the newest thing that is coming. So we need to make sure that we are nourished by the word of God and the words of the faith which Apostle Paul calls us here today. And another thing that he's pointing out, worldly fables. Um, I know some people who are deep into conspiracy theories. And if you're one of those people here today, I would like to say that here's a warning for us in here. 
Be careful of the information that you consume out there because we can go down a rabbit hole really fast. I know some people that are close to our family who have gone off the deep end on a few conspiracy theories and it can twist your mind really fast. Every conversation that you end up having with that person ends up on the subject of flat earth or something like that, when the Bible clearly speaks against that. And some of you, I'm sure, know folks who are deeply into conspiracy theories. Brothers and sisters, I just want to warn you from the Word of God that those are not profitable for you. The Word of God is calling us to consume the Word of God and focus our mind on the words of faith and on sound doctrine, not on the things that are trying to capture your attention. And Satan uses today to twist the faith in people. And people are following and falling victim into those things really fast. It is easy to fall into the traps because the information is just out there. But the warning stands. Don't participate in those things. But what are we to do? Verse 8, or I'm sorry, uh, the second verse of uh, half of verse 7, it says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So I have to remind myself, and I'm bad at this, but every time I take my smartphone, what am I to do with it? What am I going to do with it? It says that we ought to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So when you're picking up and you're consuming information, let that be a reminder to us that we have to consume what is going to be growing us in godliness, and it takes discipline. I'm very bad with discipline. I have to continually take myself into this, put myself into a corner and say, no, you're not going to do this. It takes discipline. The Spirit is warning us that it is not going to be easy, that these things are not easily obtained. They take discipline and perseverance for the purpose of godliness. And he uses my dad's favorite verse when I was 16 years old and always spending a lot of times in the gym, it says, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. <laughs> that was quoted in my house quite often. <laughs> but godliness is profitable for all things. Okay, we would say, well, why is it profitable? Why are we to follow this pattern of studying the word of nourishing ourselves from the word of faith and sound doctrine. What is it going to give me? Why? It says, because it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I'm sure many of you have been to the gym and seen the gym bros and... Uh, they're all flexing and having a fun time, you know, showing their muscles to each other. 
And uh, maybe you go to the gym and you're going for the right purposes. You're just trying to stay flexible like I am in my 40s. And we've got to remember that no matter how much we train our body, it is going to be only for a short period of time. I'm sure you guys all know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is, right? One of the most beautiful human beings that ever existed, and he was Mr. Olympia X many times, but now he's in his 70s, and his body, no matter how much he spent time in the gym, his body looks like a body of a 70-year-old, and that's because God designed it that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But what he's saying is, no matter how much time and how many push-ups you do and how many chin-ups you do, or whatever you run 20 miles a day, I don't know, it's only going to be profitable for a very short period of time. But guess what? The Word of God is not so. Because it is not profitable only for a short period of time. It is actually profitable for us today, and what does it do? It holds the promise for today, for the present life, and also for what? For the life to come, right? So when our body, which we trained and we fed with this great food and we did all of these things and we disciplined ourselves in our body, when it decays, it is gone. We don't have it anymore. There's no profit in it for the future. But if we exercise godliness and if we keep in the words of faith and in the sound doctrine, it is not only going to profit us today, but also the key and the secret is that it holds the promise for the life to come. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. I love that statement, that if we persevere in the faith and we dive into the Word of God, we're not only profiting right now, we are holding on to the present future that God has promised to us. And I love verse 9. It's, it's kind of an odd verse, but he says, it is a trustworthy statement, and it deserves full acceptance. So basically he's saying, I'm telling you the truth, and you better believe it. Very simple. So, as we're reading this, and we come to verse 9, we're like, I better believe it. This is what the Spirit of God wants me to know today. In verse 10, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope, on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. What a great verse, except some people use it to propagate universalism. If you don't know what universalism is, it is basically that all people will be saved. This is not what this verse is saying, and I'm just going to say it really quickly. This is not propagating universalism. So be careful interpreting that piece of scripture that way. What he is saying here today is that the whole entire world, because of God's mercy and grace, is participating in the common grace of God to all men. So the rising of the sun, the falling of the rain, the joy of family, love and hugs and food, and everything that the whole entire world has a chance to participate in is called the common grace of God. There is different grace of God. There's the saving grace of God. And not all people are being saved, only those who hold fast to the promises of the Scripture and salvation in Jesus Christ, His Son. So we need to understand that and not be fooled by what the verse is saying. 
Now, he is also pointing out to what actions we can take in our own life if we follow the words of faith and the sound doctrine. Verse 11, it says, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. All right, so he's calling us to very clear actions. Now is the time for the rubber to hit the road, so to speak, right? So what are we to do with this? We're exercising ourselves in the Word of God. We are being watchful about the deceptions of the spirits of demons. And what are we to do? What tangible actions can we take and what can we do? Well, he's encouraging Timothy as a young man, and this is used a lot to encourage young people, which I will do today as well. Young people, this is for you. This is how a Christian who truly trusts the Lord and who believes is to conduct himself. How are we to conduct ourselves? Pay attention to verse 12. It says, don't worry about being young. And I'm going to say, don't worry about being old either. This is for everyone. What are we to do as Christians? How are we to live? Well, we are to make sure that our speech is proper, right? Words that come out of our own mouth need to be clean. We need to watch what we're saying. In fact, the scripture warns us that the one who is complete man is the one who is able to control his tongue. Failure number one, right here. I can say some things, and I'm sure all of us can, that are not edifying and are not glorifying the name of God, but we are warned to make sure that we're watching what we say. Second thing it says, watch how you conduct yourself. What is conducting myself? It is the daily actions that I take. It is what I do in my everyday life. How do I conduct myself in my daily living? Are those people who are watching me from the outside and know that I'm professing the faith in Christ, are they getting the same message from my actions are they getting from my words? That is a big question. It says that we are to love others and love one another. So we are to show genuine affection and care for each other and for those who are around us. The two commandments that Christ gave us, he said, the new commandments I give you to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then it says, love who? Your German shepherd. No, it says love your neighbor as yourself. So we are to show love to those as well who are around us. We are also to be faithful. We are to believe and to walk in those things that we believe. And then the last one he says, and purity. Purity is a touchy one, especially for young people, but for all of us today. Purity, he's referring to here, is the sexual purity. And some of us may say, well, 
I'm a man, a one woman. But he's not only talking about the purity that we show with our actions and how we conduct our physical life. He's also talking about the purity of the mind. Big, great warning here for all of us. The great big internet, it exposes us to the depths of vileness of this world. And unfortunately, pornography is one of them. And the Spirit of God is calling us and greatly warning us today that we need to be pure in our minds. Men, this is for you, maybe some women. I know that it is a struggle for many, but God gives freedom, and he is able to free you from those bonds if you are in those today. So conduct your life by being pure in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and ensure in purity, and show yourself as an example for those who believe. We are to watch one another, not for the sake of judging one another, but we are to see how the saints are conducting themselves, those true saints, and we are to uphold one another to a higher standard with those things, with speech, with conduct, with love, faithfulness, and with purity. And then he gives another instruction in verse 13, and until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. So he is encouraging Timothy to use his spiritual gifts. And obviously the spiritual gifts of Timothy were leadership and teaching. He was a pastor and preaching the word. But is that irrelevant to all of us? No, it is relevant. Let me call your attention to every single one of us who has believed and is a true faithful disciple of Christ that, and reassure you from the scriptures that each and one of you and myself are uniquely gifted for the purpose of service to one another in the body of Christ. So we have to pay attention to those things and make sure that we are exercising those spiritual gifts within the body. So, when you come to church and you hold the door or pour the cup of coffee for somebody, you're serving somebody, you're serving the body of Christ as a whole. When people are singing up here and you're singing back, and we're all singing to the Lord together, we're upholding each other with our voices, we're upholding each other and we're reminding each other that we are worshiping a great God. So don't think that your spiritual gift, whatever it might be, whether it's the gift of helps and nobody's seeing that, you're helping somebody somewhere, whether it's the gift of prayer or the gift of faith, and those are not the visible ones. Rest assured that God is watching and he wants us as the body to serve one another with those gifts. So serve each other and the body with your spiritual gift. And then it says in verse 15, and this is an interesting state, statement here. It says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Again, Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy and he's saying it's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful. Like, take pains. Meaning, it's not going to be the easiest thing to do. Be absorbed 
Have you ever read a good book? And you're sitting there and you're reading and then your kids are running around and they're doing, you know, and the house maybe is already starting to be on fire and you're just sitting there and you're, you are not paying attention to anything else because you're sucked into that and you are paying attention because you are absorbed by that. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about make sure that we don't just flippantly read this and say, okay, yeah, there's the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the demons and you know, oh yeah, some people are you know getting married and whatever they can do, whatever they want. No, that's not the point. The point is, he is warning us and he's saying that if you're going to live like this, it's going to take effort, and you need to be absorbed by that so that your progress will be evident to all. And verse 16, at closing, it says, "Pay close attention to yourself." So take pains. Okay. Be absorbed and pay close attention. Three warnings. We got to do it right. We have to pay attention to these things. Because why? He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. What a great reminder that God wants us to be active participants in the church and in our Christian life. He wants us to be filled with the words of faith, with the sound doctrine. He wants us to watch how we talk, how we walk, how we love one another, how we're faithful. He wants us to watch our purity. And he's reminding us that these great things are going to be profitable for us, not only today, but also in the future. Because if we are to do this, we will be good soldiers for Christ, and we will attain salvation that is promised through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for a great reminder today that we are fully dependent on your Spirit, and you care for us, and you love us. Thank you for the reminder that even within our own walls, there could arise situations where the spirits of demons can act. Lord, I pray for discernment for the shepherds of this church. I pray for discernment for every member of this church, Lord, that we ought to know and we would know how to differentiate the spirit of God from the spirit of, the of Satan. Lord, I pray that as we conduct our lives daily, that we do not fall into traps of the information war that is being waged against us today but that our minds would be fixed on the word of faith and on sound doctrine. That will translate into a life that is profitable for us here today and holds a promise of the future, as your word says. Father, we're thankful for these reminders. We're thankful for this morning. Thank you for your love and for the ability to be a part of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.